So I learned these five money hacks from super rich people, from billionaires to people who are worth 100 million to even multimillionaires, and it helped me become a millionaire too. So let's run through my five tips. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I share mindset, lifestyle, and business hacking tips, tools, and some painful lessons along my journey from growing my businesses and also working with some of the top entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professional athletes. Driven Mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. All right, let's talk about these five secrets, I guess you could say, to getting ahead financially. Now, these are the things that most people don't do, which is why most people live week to week and struggle financially. And these tips aren't easy, by the way. They are hard, just like most things. Like it's hard going to the gym. It's hard exercising. It's hard to eat healthy. It's hard to have a good relationship. It's hard to communicate effectively. But it's even harder when your life falls apart because you don't do these things. So even though some of these things may seem hard, they're not that hard if you just implement them. And once you create a habit, they become really easy. So let's go through them. So first of all, this comes from a post that I wrote on Twitter. Now, if you're not on my Twitter account, it's just being verified, jump across there. It's MichaelMojo00. I'm posting stuff daily. In fact, I'm just brain dumping a whole bunch of stuff on there every day. So if you want some tips and tools and you just want to read through some of my brain dumps or even some of my ideas or some of my tools, then please just jump across, make sure you follow me on Twitter. It's MichaelMojo00, you'll find me on there. So it says here that if you don't wanna be broke, then these are the non-negotiables that rich people have in order to get ahead financially. So number one is you need to set up your bank accounts correctly. And this is what I did that helped me to get ahead financially. So the first thing that I did was when a heap of my millionaire friends were telling me about this stuff, they were just saying the first thing that you need to do is you need to create a separate bank account where money pulls in every week. And the way they explained it was that if money's coming in, let's say you've got a heap of different share accounts, let's say you've got some property accounts and people are paying rent, then if it just hits the bank account all separately on different days, then how do you know when to pay bills, when not to pay bills? And it just becomes an absolute clusterfuck trying to manage. So what they said is you wanna set up that account now. I did this before I even had money. Well, I guess I had money, but it wasn't a lot of money. I was struggling. I wasn't getting ahead financially, but it's because I didn't follow the game that rich people play. I was playing the game of most broke people, which is that when money comes in, it just comes in on random days. Like if I sell some products and it comes in today and then I go and spend a little bit and I pay some bills and then tomorrow I wake up and there's no money in the account and I go, oh, shit, there's more bills coming in and people, suppliers are ringing me and they're saying, dude, when do I get my payments? And I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I'm just waiting for money to come in. Then money comes in, it goes back out. It's a nightmare to manage. So you've got to set it up so that it's easy to manage. Remember that in life, things become more complicated as they grow. So if you've got a business and it's a small business and you can't manage it, then you're not going to have a big business because you won't be able to manage it. So the more you can set up systems and processes and structure, the easier it is to manage things in life. So we want to create a system or a process for financial management that makes things a lot easier for you so that you can grow your wealth. So the first thing is we create a separate bank account. Now we call this account the cash pool because it does exactly that. It just pulls cash. So let's say today someone buys some tickets to our Thrive Time event. Let's say they buy five. So a bunch of money goes in and it goes into that account. Then tomorrow, let's say someone pays me for a year's worth of private coaching. So then more money goes into that account. Then for two days, nothing much happens. Then on Friday, we've got a sale that's going on. Let's say it's our brand new Dominate product, which is about to be launched. So we're about to launch a product called Dominate Zero to a Million Dollars to help business owners grow to their first million dollars. 
and give them the tools and the templates that they can implement in their business straight away. It's going to be an absolute game changer. But let's say we have you know, two or 300 people who buy that product on the launch. So then you've got a heap of money coming in. So you want it just to pull there. Now, once a week, you want to set one day, which is your financial management day. So for Jess and I, it's Tuesday. So every Tuesday, we get together and we go over that account and we have a look at how much money's in there. We make sure that if there's any outstanding invoices that those people have been messaged to make sure that any extra cash comes into next week's cash pool. But then what we do is we start to then separate that money and put it into other accounts. So the whole purpose of step one is that you've got to let your money pull up. So you don't want to be managing your money every day. You want to be managing it once a week. So Tuesday, we get together that there's a bunch of cash in there. And then what we do is then we separate it. Now, if you're in a relationship and let's say you're a husband and a wife and one person gets paid on a Tuesday and one person gets paid on a Wednesday, then maybe Thursday is your cash day. Now that should go, it depends whether you separate your money or you don't. But let's say that you have joint bank accounts. Well, Thursday might be your cash pool day. So let's say husband gets paid, he gets paid $2,000 for a fortnight's worth of work. Now I'm just making up numbers because it's easy. And then let's say the wife gets $2,000 and then that goes into the bank account. So there's $4,000 in there. So that money just sits in there until Thursday. Now when Thursday comes, the first thing that they do is they grab a set amount and they put it straight into a savings account. So this is step number two. Step number two is you wanna move money from your cash pool into your savings account every week. Now it has to be a set amount. If you've got a business that's quite volatile, then just put a percentage in there. That's how Jess and I first started. So we would get 10% of everything that we earn and put it straight into a savings account. Now that savings account would be a high interest account. So step one is make sure that you set up a cash pool account. Step two is make sure that the first thing that you do every week is pay yourself first. Now you can read this in so many books of wealthy people where they say pay yourself first. What that means is take money and put it into a savings account. The very specific reason why you do that is because if you've got a fear response around money and you're stressed out all the time, then it's gonna be very, very hard to invest effectively. And you're gonna keep going back to safety and survival, which means you'll pay bills, you'll keep spending more money in order to get immediate gratification and you just will never get ahead financially. So the purpose of a savings account is not to save money for a rainy day. I hate people when they say, you need to save money for a rainy day. You should never have to save money for a rainy day. What you should do is have a bunch of money there so that your brain switches off the fear response. So Jess and I, the first thing that we did was we saved a whole year's worth of income at our current lifestyle expense. So we just kept putting more and more money away every week, every week, every week. We would shift money across to our savings account. Now that money pulled up for, it took us a couple of years, but eventually what happened was we had a whole year's worth of income saved. Now that meant that if worse comes to worse, let's say the economy crashed or the business fell over, we would still have a full year's worth of income and we could still live at our current lifestyle for 12 months. That would probably never happen. Let's say the business flipped over, we would probably get it back up and running or we'd get something up and running in a couple of months. And we could decrease our lifestyle. So we could cut costs, we could stop going out for dinner as much and so on. But it gives us a feeling of safety. It gives us a feeling of security, which then means we're not in the most primitive part of your brain. I base this on neuroscience. So if you're under fear, you use a different part of the brain than when you're thriving in life. So when you're thriving in life, you use the prefrontal cortex, you can future think, you can future plan, you're more calm, you're more effective, you're more efficient, you're just less reactive emotionally. Whereas when you're in fear, so let's say you've saved $2,000 and then all of a sudden this $2,000 bill comes in, you freak out and you pay that $2,000 bill. Well, when that happens, you are now back in a survival response. So every day you look at your bank account and you go, shit, I hope that nothing bad happens because if it does, I'm fucked. So that is not a good place to be. 
So we wanna take that money, we put it into the savings account, and the goal is not to have it as a rainy day fund. I've never thought about it as rainy day fund. In fact, in eight or nine years, I've never ever touched one cent out of our savings account. Not one cent. Because that money is not there as a rainy day fund, it is there to make sure that my brain works effectively for when I'm making money elsewhere. So now when that happens, that's step number two. Step number three is that when you have enough savings, so let's say you've saved a minimum of three months. Now I would say that every person should have a minimum of three months worth of cash flow saved. That means that if the economy crashes, that means if you lose your job, you've got three months to get back on your feet. Now for most people, that's fine. Now everyone has different risk profiles. Because of Jess and myself and the amount of outgoing costs that we have, we just put a year's worth of savings in there. Now, there are plenty of people out there who say cash is trash, but you can easily put that against your home as long as you can withdraw that cash pretty quickly. So like it's against our home loan so that if anything happens, we can withdraw that cash really, really quickly. Or you can chuck it into a high interest account. That's completely fine as well. You just need to be able to access that cash if worse comes to worse. Then from there, after you've saved a year's worth of income, then the next thing that you wanna do is you wanna set up a investment account. Now that investment account can be through whoever you choose to use. There are different things out there like there is Charles Schwab, there is Comsec, there's ANZ had one as well. I'm not sure if it's still around. But what you wanna do is transfer after that once the savings account is full of either three months, six months, nine months or 12 months, whatever your safety profile is or however much you need to feel safe. Then from there, the rest of the cash goes into an investment account. Now, when you're investing, my recommendation is, and what I got taught, was you have to earn the right to invest and you've got to earn the right to risk. So if you're not good with, let's say you've never really had any money, don't go out there and do what most fucking idiots do. I say that in the nicest way possible, but this is what most fucking idiots do, is that they will go out there and because they're poor with money, they will try to make up for lost time. And so they will go, I need to find the fastest way to make money possible. Now that means normally high return. High return is normally high risk. So normally if you've got low returns, it's normally low risk. And if it's high return, it's normally high risk. Now that's just a general rule of thumb. There are some other ways around that as well. Like when you look at, let's say property development, I work with a few developers, it can be high return, but it can also be very high risk. So sometimes they can do developments and make no money. There are other times where they can do big developments and they take two to three years and they make an absolute shit ton of money. There are other things like cryptocurrency, which is depending on what you're doing, it still can be seen as gambling. I'm not a huge fan. I was in for a little bit. I got in, I got out and made my money, but there are plenty of people that I've seen who have ridden the roller coaster and they've done okay. I've seen plenty of other people lose a lot of money as well. My recommendation is do what smart people do and that is earn the right to risk. So start low. I know that for a lot of people who are listening to this, you go, yeah, but I wanna be wealthy now. I wanna make a lot of money now, but everything compounds. If you look at Warren Buffett, one of the richest people on the planet and the greatest investor of all time, Everything started slow and he slowly worked his way up to greater and greater amounts of wealth. Over time, compounding interest will keep growing your account. So as you get older and the more time you've invested, the more money you will make compounding in most cases, if you're intelligent and if you're investing in things that are wise. So you wanna earn the right to risk, you wanna earn the right to invest. So after you've saved, you've earned the right to invest, now start investing, but low risk, low return. And just take your time, think about 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Like I think about what's gonna happen when I'm in my 80s. I don't really think about where I need to be next year or in two years or in five years. Next year I turn 40, I'm not trying to beat anybody else, I'm not trying to rush. Because if I do that, I've done it in the past and you tend to make stupid decisions and you normally get wiped out. Now in the past, I haven't got wiped out, but I've had plenty of times where I put money to crazy shit and I've made a little bit and I've lost a little bit and then I've gone, ah, this is crazy shit and then I've got out of that stuff. And I just go back to following the principles that most wealthy people do. 
who are good long-term investors, not short-term investors who get rich quick and then lose it all because normally easy come, easy go, fast growth, fast loss. That's just a principle that I have. Earn the right to invest. What I did was I just invested in index funds. And essentially an index fund is a bunch of shares. They call an index. So it's a group of shares that is indexed. So let's say it's a mining index. That means that it holds a bunch of mining shares, a whole bunch of different mining shares. And should the sector go well, then you'll do okay. Normally you'll get dividends as well. A dividend is normally, if you invest in something like, essentially when you're buying a share, you're investing in the business. So if I buy, let's say Qantas, most people know Qantas, it's an airline. If I invest in Qantas, I'm essentially a shareholder of that company. When most people think about shares, they don't actually think about owning a business. But if I've got Qantas shares, I am essentially part owner of that business. Now it might only be a small percentage, like it might be a decimal place, but essentially you're an owner of a business. So because you're an owner of the business and you put money into that business, every quarter, if you get a dividend, now not all shares have dividends, but if you get a dividend, that's essentially the business saying, here's a little bit of your money back as a return for investing in us, just like all investments. So you get a little bit of cash back. Now over time, those dividends will multiply, or if you keep investing in more stuff over time, then you will keep getting more and more dividends. So normally every quarter, I get checks that rock up in the post or statements, and those statements are normally my dividends. I normally reinvest them because I don't need the money right now. I don't want to go out and spend that money because then I'm increasing my lifestyle. I'm not increasing my investments. So what I do is I just reinvest them back into those same shares. So I have a reinvestment scheme. If I own Coca-Cola, all that happens is every quarter, let's say they give me a dollar per share. I'm just making up numbers, by the way. But let's say they give me a dollar per share and I have a thousand shares. I get a thousand dollars in dividends. I get them reinvested back into Coca-Cola. Every quarter, I end up having more shares, which then means every quarter, I make more money through the dividends. So I just keep reinvesting. And so that's the second thing. Normally, I like that to come out as well in a structured way where it's automated. The less time that I have to spend fucking around with bank accounts or shares, the better. So normally what will happen is that money will just come out and go straight into an investment account. And then every week or every month, that money will get put into an index fund and that's it. Then I just earn more shares. So then I don't have to worry about it too much. Now, every now and again, I'll pull a bunch of cash and I'll go and buy individual separate shares if I've done my background research on a business. But I think the easiest way for most people is just to invest in index funds. It's very, very simple. And now tip number four is that every quarter, if you can, and I would recommend to do this, there was something that my good friend, Dr. John D. Martini taught me and it's called forced accelerated savings. And what it is, is that every quarter, you increase your savings amount or your investing amount by 10%. So it depends whether you're in the saving phase or whether you're in the investing phase. Let's just say you're in the investing phase. Then what you do is that every quarter, you increase that amount that goes in there by 10%. So let's say for the first three months, you're gonna put $100 a week into your investment account. Now, after three months, you're gonna put $110 in there. And then the following quarter, you're gonna increase it by $11. So you're gonna put $1,021 in there. And so by every quarter, you're gonna increase it by another 10%. What it does is the reason why that works is because if you increase the savings amount by a large amount, what it will do is it'll normally create too much stress, tension, and friction, and it becomes overwhelming. If you can just put a little bit more money in where it keeps you tight, where if let's just say you increase your ability to earn, so you get a little bit of a pay rise, or you create some new products or some programs, then what you wanna do is you want to increase that amount by 10%. So by increasing the amount every quarter, just by 10%, it's enough to create a little bit of stress. Now, if you've listened to my podcast before, stress creates growth and pressure creates expansion. 
So we want to create a little bit of stress to force our growth. That way, as an individual, I've got to become more creative. I've got to go out there and add more value into the economy so that I can get more value back. So I can create a new product, I can create a new service. Let's say you work for somebody. You've got to then go out there and think, how can I get a 10% pay rise this quarter? What can I do? How can I add value to the company? How can I add value to the business owner? What can I do to increase my earnings by 10%? So it'll push you to grow. It'll push you to become more value-driven as an individual. And so because of that, now you've got an extra 10% going into the investing account, which now you're gonna be making more money because you're slowly starting to invest more. Now imagine this happening over 10 years, where every quarter for 10 years, okay, that's 40 quarters. You've increased by 10%, that's compounding. And it's forced you to become more valuable as an individual and become more value-driven as an individual. Also, what it does is it forces you not to become too much of an overspender. Most people in our society, they get a little bit more money and they just go out and spend it again. What it will do is it'll keep everything tight. So normally every quarter when Jess and I have to go back through the bank accounts, we go, you know what? I spent a little bit of money on this shit here. I don't really need that. We can get rid of that subscription or we can get rid of something. And so we can start cutting costs a little bit. So it keeps the business tight instead of allowing money just to be loosely spent. Sometimes I'll have to go to the team and go, right guys, where are we creating value in each department and where do we need to cut back in each department? And so we can cut back a little bit. And what it does is it forces everybody in the business to stay value-driven and purpose-driven, not just become complacent and go, oh, we can get this thing because it makes everyone's life easier and they sort of use it once a week or that happens heaps in businesses. And you just become an absolute spending machine. So what it does is it keeps everything tight. So that's step number four. Step number five is make sure you do your mindset work. More than anything else, the number one thing that if you wanna generate greater wealth is to work more on your mindset. Every time you have a fear response around money, every time you have a stress around money, every time you worry about money, all you are doing, even a comparison, if you're comparing yourself to others, you're dropping from the most evolved part of the brain when you're inspired to the most primitive part of the brain and you'll become emotionally driven around money. Now, you've probably already heard me talk on the podcast about our emotions that when emotions are high, intelligence is low because you're using a different part of the brain. But also what most people do is they have fears around money. Those fears create impulses. Those impulses mean that people go out and then do dumb shit where they'll overspend money on food or they'll spend money on alcohol or they spend money on depreciating items that mean that they blow money. And then there's always this money stress for most people. So more than anything, work on your mindset. If you haven't grabbed your ticket yet to Thrive Time, I highly recommend to do that. We've had over a thousand people come and do that event and the majority of them start getting ahead financially when they implement these structures because they've got the mindset that stops them from being volatile and erratic and emotionally driven. That event is a game changer. That's why we give a money back guarantee on that event that if you come to that event, it will change your life and I guarantee it's better than any other personal development event on the planet because what it will do is it will help you to create a structure and a strategy and a game plan for your individual life so that you're not comparing yourself to others, you're just playing your game. There's tools that I teach at Thrive Time that help you to stop the emotional volatilities that most people have, which then stop them from getting ahead financially. Now, not only does it affect their finances, but it will affect their relationships, their friendships, the way that they do business, the way that they act as an employee. Our emotions cause huge volatilities within our life and most people don't even realize it. That's why most people don't value these tools because I speak to people all the time, they go, oh, it's not really that big a deal. I don't really need to work on my emotions or my mindset, I just need to get more money or I just need to find the partner of my dreams. But they don't realize that their emotional states are the things that destroy those things also. So the more that you can work on your mindset, the more you're gonna get ahead financially. And also the other thing that I'll have to say is as well, the more you surround yourself with people that are more money focused and money driven and understand wealth, 
Now, I'm not saying that they should be money-driven at the expense of people, because that's where most people go wrong. Like I hear this shit all the time. Rich people are bad people, rich people are assholes. Just think about if all the rich people out there or people who are doing well financially closed down their businesses, what would happen? The majority of wealthy people that I know, now this isn't everybody, but the majority of wealthy people that I know employ a lot of people, they pay a lot of tax. They also do a lot of good stuff for the economy. They donate the most amount of money to charities as well and charitable organizations. In fact, a lot of them set up their own charitable organizations eventually as well. So there's a lot of money driven through the economy from people being smart with money. So I don't think money is good or bad. It all depends on the way that a person uses it. If you're emotionally volatile around money, you're probably just an emotionally volatile person. And if you have a lot of insecurities and you don't like people and you feel like, you know, everyone uses and abuses you and fucks you and, you know, all of this sort of stuff, then you're probably going to be a prick when you've got money anyway. But you're a prick when you didn't have money. Don't be silly like most people are that are poor or broke and say things like, you know, money's evil, rich people are assholes. Because when you do that, you will never get ahead financially. Imagine rich people are assholes and now I start making more money. Well, I don't want to be seen as an asshole. So therefore, I will subconsciously or unconsciously self-sabotage money and find reasons to spend it unconsciously. And this is why I hear people say things like, I've got to have that new handbag. I've got to buy those new shoes. Oh my God, I've got to have it. Oh, I have to go to the latest music festival. The more you say shit like that, the more you're unconsciously trying to get rid of money. Most people don't even realize they do that. Anyway, Driven Mofos, if you haven't already done so, make sure you rate and review this podcast. Just hit the little stars there on the podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it. And please, rate this podcast. The more ratings we get, the more people goes out to everybody. You know, I really do appreciate each and every one of you that have already rated and reviewed this podcast. So please just do it. It'll take like two seconds, literally two seconds. So just remember to rate and review this podcast. Anyway, Driven Mofos, have a great day. I look forward to you joining me back here once again for another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. Have a great day. Keep kicking goals. 